Well, not long ago, I read an article about the Dubai Future Forum that happened several months ago. It's a forum in which leading scientists and thinkers gather to discuss some solutions to some of the world's biggest problems. One of those who presented at the forum was a man by the name of Dr. Jose Cordero. And he spoke about the problem of aging, getting older, the, the problems that come with aging. And he made this claim in his presentation. Aging is a technical problem that we can understand and probably reverse. It's a likelihood that people will soon be able to live forever rather than a possibility. I personally do not plan to die. He's kind of wrote a book on that subject as well. It's called The Death of Death. A friend's Dr. Cordero may not plan to die, but he will. He will. Aging and death are not just technical problems to be solved, but part of God's curse over sin, and, they cannot, and it cannot be reversed by any human efforts. There is going to be no scientific breakthrough that gives humans the keys to eternal life. But church, even as I say that, that may sound like a discouraging thing to say. You may have been hoping that we would have something that would give us the keys to eternal life. Well, the truth is we do. It's just not scientific discovery. Let us not forget what we have gathered to remember this Easter. We have gathered to celebrate the fact that we worship Jesus Christ, the living one, who was dead but who is now alive forevermore. It is Jesus who holds the keys to death and Hades in his hands. Our Lord has conquered death. He is risen. A praise be to God. And because Jesus Christ is risen, because he was dead but is now alive forevermore, all who place their faith in him receive eternal life. Well, brothers and sisters, our, our sermon text for this Easter morning comes from John chapter 11. It's going to be in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 54. So if you have a Bible with you, and I would encourage you to bring one with you when you come each week, I invite you to turn there with me. You can also find that text in the back of your bulletin. Uh, in these verses, Jesus proclaims this. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Well, friends, that statement by Jesus is really the main idea of our passage this morning. It's, it's hard to do better than that for a summary of the main idea of this passage. So we're going to examine that statement as we study one of the most amazing signs that Jesus performed during his ministry on earth. That's the raising of Lazarus. It's the raising of Lazarus from the dead. It's a long passage this morning, so we're not going to have time to examine everything in detail. But I have four points to help us navigate this event from Jesus' ministry and help us consider that statement that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Uh, the first is a message delivered to Jesus. Verses 1 through 16, a message delivered to Jesus. A second, Jesus delivers a resurrection message. Jesus delivers a resurrection message. It's verses 17 through 37. Jesus' resurrection me message is verified. Verses 38 through 44. And then finally, the response to Jesus' resurrection message. It's verses 45 through 54. And so first, look with me, starting in verse 1 of John chapter 11. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going there again? Aren't there 12 hours in a day, Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I was not there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, well, let's go too, so that we may die with him. Well, friends, it's obvious from these verses that Jesus had a particularly close relationship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. In verse 3, in the message that they send to Jesus, they describe Lazarus as the one that Jesus loved. Verse 5 makes it clear that Jesus did indeed love Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And friends, this family did not just know Jesus well. well they seemed to have a, a deep faith in Jesus. Well, that seems to be clear just by the fact that they sent Jesus a message. Well, friends, this is a, an act of faith. They knew that Jesus had the power to heal their brother if he came. And when Jesus receives this message, you might say that he has something of an interesting reaction. Perhaps not the reaction we would expect from someone who, who is said to love Lazarus deeply. Now look at verse 4. First, he told his disciples that Lazarus' sickness would not end in death, but was for the glory of God. Well, Jesus said this knowing very well that Lazarus would indeed die. In fact, though no second message came to Jesus, we see in verse 13 that Jesus clearly knew that Lazarus had indeed died. But in, in saying what he did, that, uh, that this sickness would not end in death, Jesus was hinting at what he was about to do in raising Lazarus back to life. We'll get there later in the sermon. Friends, I think we should also see, and we'll think about this later as well, that Jesus was revealing that God has a purpose in our, in our suffering. God sovereignly purposed that Lazarus would get sick, even that Lazarus would die. Well, he did it so that his glory and the glory of the Father might be shown as he raised Lazarus back to life. Well, that same purpose was at work in Jesus' own death and resurrection that was still to come. God purposed before the foundation of the world that Jesus would suffer and die, and three days later he would rise again so that God's glory might be shown in his redeeming power over sin and death. Well, friends, this, this purpose that Jesus had in, in waiting a couple of days, or in, in the, the resurrection of Lazarus, well, it helps explain why Jesus did not leave right away when he got the news Lazarus was sick. That might be the reaction we would expect. A loved one is sick, we're going to rush to their bedside. It's not what Jesus did. Now, the, the fact is, if you do the math on the timeline, 
Had Jesus left right away, he still would not have arrived in Bethany before Lazarus had died. Jesus is God. He knew this. But Jesus had a purpose in his waiting. He waited. He waited so it would be absolutely clear that when he arrived, Lazarus was stone cold dead. There could be no doubt about it. When he raised Lazarus from the grave, no one could claim that Lazarus had simply fainted and, and been revived. Well, Jesus waited so that his glory would unmistakably shine forth. You well, see, that was his purpose in what he did. That was his purpose in, in going to, to Bethany. It's so that his glory would be revealed and that people might believe in him. Well, look at verse 15. Jesus told his disciples that he was glad for them, that he was not there to prevent Lazarus' death so that they might believe when he did raise him from the dead. You might think if Jesus was around and like prevented Lazarus from dying, like that seems pretty great. That would strengthen the faith of the disciples. I think that's true. But how much more if Jesus raised someone who had died back to life? That brings us to the, the second point of the sermon, that Jesus delivers a resurrection message. So look with me starting at verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he, have opened the, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? So when Jesus uh, finally arrives in, in the town of Bethany, well, Lazarus had been dead and buried for four days already. And it was Martha, the, not Mary, who came out to meet Jesus. Well, it was Martha who seems to have chosen the good portion this time. Remember when Pastor Ben preached for us about Jesus eating at the home of Mary and Martha, it was Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus. Here it's Martha coming out to meet him. And when she came out to meet Jesus, she seems to be filled with both faith and doubt. Or at least a faith that is still seeking understanding. A faith that is still lacking full understanding. 
And she said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I don't believe that that Martha is angry with Jesus here. I don't think she's upset at Jesus. She's simply crying out to Jesus in her sorrow. You know, what do people say sometimes when someone dies because medical help could not arrive in time? You know, maybe they got, they got injured or bit by a snake way out in the wilderness, far from any medical care. Maybe an ambulance gets stuck in a really bad traffic jam and can't make it to the person in time. Well, people might say, oh, well, he would have lived had help arrived on time. Now, they're not blaming the, the doctors or the nurses. They're just lamenting the reality of the, the situation. In some sense, you might say that they're showing faith in those doctors and nurses that had that patient been delivered to them on time, well, they could have done something. Uh, That seems to be Martha here. She was expressing a measure of faith, and she makes that faith plain in the very next verse. She's still confident that God will hear and respond to whatever Jesus asks. She has faith, but her faith is still seeking understanding. He doesn't seem to to grasp the the, the full, profound, life-giving power of Jesus Christ. She does not understand that he can raise Lazarus from the dead. She still loved Jesus. She still believed in Jesus. She still had faith in Jesus. But she seems to see him at this point as more of a preserver of life than the Lord of life, the giver of life, the author of all life. She needed to grow in her knowledge of Jesus that she might grow in her faith, that she might grow in her her trust of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the the same thing is true of us. Your, Your faith will be strengthened as you grow in a greater knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you grow in a greater knowledge of God's glory and his power and his grace and his kindness. Friends, you will learn to trust him more as you come to know him more through his word. As you interpret the experiences of your life through what the Bible has to say about who God is and who you are. In 1 Peter 2.2, the Apostle Peter exhorts you to desire the pure milk of the word so that by it, by God's word, you may grow up into your salvation. Friends, as we go through the story, we will... See that this is what happened to Martha and Mary and many who witnessed Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus. As we will see, many were led to a a saving faith or a a deeper faith in Jesus Christ. But as for now, Martha did not seem to fully understand. Look at verse 23. Jesus told Martha that Lazarus would rise again. She thought Jesus was only talking about the final resurrection. In response, Jesus made the profound statement that is at the center of our verses. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Brothers and sisters, do you believe this? This is the central truth of our passage. It's the central message of Easter, and it is the central message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the message that Jesus himself is life, and all who place their faith in him will inherit eternal life. It is Jesus who holds the keys to death and Hades in his hands. He has defeated death. He is the source of life. Jesus raised Lazarus to demonstrate the truth of this message and this reality. 
And friends, Jesus' own resurrection from the dead, Jesus' own resurrection would be the greatest and final demonstration of the truth of what he just said in this passage. Martha was looking forward to the final resurrection. But what she needed to understand is that the assurance of that final resurrection, church, the, the assurance of our own final resurrection from the dead, is Jesus Christ. We must be united to him. He is the resurrection and the life. Jesus was not just an amazing doctor with, a, with just a profound ability to treat sick people. He was not a preserver of life who, who knew all the, the latest concoctions that might heal people. No, Jesus is the author of life. Friends, modern medicine is amazing. I'm so grateful for the doctors and the hospitals and the scientists that we have challenged, uh, attacking some of the, the biggest problems that we have. For many of the people who are at the Dubai Future Forum. But for as amazing as modern medicine is, scientists and doctors have not yet figured out how to raise someone from the dead. And friends, they never will. But Jesus is different. He is the giver of life. Jesus is the one by whom and through whom and for whom all things were created. He has life in himself. He is the eternal Son of God. There was never a time that he has not existed. And there is never a time that he will cease to exist. Nothing brought Jesus into existence. He is life in himself. The hope that Lazarus would rise again, the reason that Lazarus could be raised again both in this life and the life to come was the fact that Jesus has power over sin and death. He is the giver of life and he is the author of life. Church, have you ever considered why the wages of sin is death? Have you ever wondered, like, well, why is that the, why are the wages of sin, why is the penalty for sin death? Friends, it's because sin is rebellion against and, and rejection of, well, it's rejection of the one who is the author of life. In our rebellion, we're cutting ourselves off from the one who is the source of all life. You think about it that way, death is the logical consequence of our sin. We are rejecting the one who is the giver of life. Therefore, if you want eternal life, you must be united by faith to one, the one who is the resurrection and the life. And that is Jesus Christ himself. The Bible scholar D.A. Carson put it this way. Jesus' concern here is to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in him who alone can provide it. Just as he not only gives the bread from heaven, but is himself the bread of life, so also he not only raises the dead on the last day, but is himself the resurrection and the life. There is neither resurrection nor eternal life outside of him. In other words, he wanted to move Martha from just a general statement like, yeah, I believe in the life to come. So, no, no, I believe in you, Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Friends, as we will see Jesus raise Lazarus to demonstrate this truth, but the absolute guarantee of, pro of, of Jesus' promise in these verses, that all who believe in him will never die, the absolute assurance of that is not that Lazarus was raised. It is the fact that Jesus himself was raised. Church, if Jesus was still in the grave, our faith would be futile and without hope. 
But Jesus is not dead. He is risen. The grave could not hold him because he is the resurrection and the life. And friends, Jesus called Martha to faith in these truths. And he calls you, even today, to faith in these very same truths. And Jesus calls Martha to faith in these truths. And so, though I still do not believe she fully understood, she did believe. Jesus called Martha to faith in himself. And then he called Mary to himself. And when she arrived, she reacted with the same mix of faith and sorrow and doubt that Martha had. Saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I do not want you to miss the fact that Mary's great sorrow and emotion when she came to Jesus, as well as the the sorrow and, and the tears of all those Jews who had come to comfort the sisters in their grief, well, that moved Jesus to tears as well. Friends, though Jesus delayed in his coming, he in some sense allowed the grief of, of Mary and, and Martha and, and Lazarus. Well, don't believe that though Jesus delayed, do not think for a moment that he was lacking in love and compassion. He was not indifferent to the, the suffering of Martha and Mary and brothers and sisters. He's not indifferent to your own suffering either. The truth is that Jesus cares deeply about your suffering. He cares about your sorrow. He loves you. And friends, he promises to, to be with us in our suffering. He does not leave us on our own, but by his spirit, he gives us words of comfort. He gives us peace and, and joy and a, a knowledge of the life to come, just as he did for Mary and Martha here. In church, we should also stop to note that if Jesus could weep with Mary and Martha, though he knew exactly what he was about to do, he stopped to weep with Mary and Martha. If Jesus could do that, we too as a church should certainly weep with those who weep. Friends, the the church is not to be a place just to come once a week, slip out the back door as, as fast as you can when the service is over, and go about your week without any care and concern for the other people in the church. Now, brothers and sisters, you're called to enter into one another's lives, to share your burdens and help one another, help each other carry their burdens. We're called to share joys, to share sorrows, to love, care, and minister to those suffering. Brothers and sisters, you're called to to be like your Savior. Uh, Church, Jesus did not allow Lazarus to die because he did not care. He did it so that he might be glorified. And you should also see that he he did it that he might be glorified, but he also did it for the good of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. His glory was for their good. He did it for the good of those Jews who were there and would witness Lazarus' resurrection. Look at verse 37. The Jews who had come to comfort the sisters were wondering if, if he loved them, if he loved Lazarus, why did he not do something? Was he unable? Like he healed this blind man. Why didn't he prevent Lazarus from dying? Well, friends, Jesus allowed Lazarus to die that they might believe. And that in believing, they might never die, but have life eternal. Now, brothers and sisters, Christian, know that God has a purpose in all your suffering too. You may never know all of God's purposes in your suffering, In fact, I guarantee you will never know all of God's purposes in your suffering. 
but you can be confident that God is using your suffering for his glory and for your good as well. Now listen to these words from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed, beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. Friends, the Apostle Paul came to see that God had a purpose in his suffering. It was so that he would learn to set his hope in Jesus Christ. And did you notice that the source of Paul's faith and trust was Jesus' own resurrection? He said that God permitted his suffering so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. But Paul could rely on God because he knew that no matter what happened to him in this life, even death, he would be raised again because his faith was in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' resurrection is not just a doctrine you need to believe in order to be a Christian. It's not just like, oh, okay, yeah, like I know Christians believe this. I'm just going to kind of follow Jesus as a teacher. I'm not sure about this miraculous stuff. I'm not sure about the resurrection stuff. It's not just some truth that has no impact on your faith. No, the resurrection of Jesus is vital to your daily walk as a Christian. Do you believe? Friends, that brings us to the third point of the sermon. Jesus' resurrection message is verified. Look with me at, at verse 38 of our text. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Oh, when, Jesus, uh, when Jesus and those with him arrived at the tomb, Jesus called for the stone that sealed the tomb to be rolled back. It seems clear that Martha still did not fully get it because she basically told Jesus, like, I'm not really sure this is a good idea, Jesus. He's been in there for four days. It's really going to smell. She, she didn't know what was about to happen. But by including this conversation between Jesus and Martha in his gospel, John is going to great lengths to point out that Lazarus is very much dead. I mean, have you noticed how many times Lazarus' death has been pointed out in our passage? Jesus said Lazarus died, verse 14. Verse 17 mentions Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Verses 21, 32, and 37, Martha, Mary, and the Jewish mourners, well, they all mention Lazarus' death. Verse 44, it's the dead man who came out. And when he came out, he's still wrapped in his burial cloths. 
Friends, John, the author of this gospel, is going to great lengths to let you know that Lazarus was as dead as dead could be. Jesus delayed his arrival so that every single witness of this miracle would know that Lazarus was as dead as dead could be. No one doubted. Everyone assembled knew for a fact that Lazarus was dead. Friends, Jesus had a a great purpose in each and everything that he did. It was all designed to reveal his glory and the, the glory of the Father. But did you know that even his did you notice even his prayer had a purpose? It was designed for the, the faith of those who were listening. He had clearly already asked the Father to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he prayed out loud to thank the Father, so that those who, who heard may indeed know that Jesus had been sent by the Father. And remember back to verse twenty two when Martha had said that she believed that whatever Jesus asked from God he would receive. Friends, it was just as she said, but she had no idea the full scope of the truth of what she proclaimed in that verse. Church, what an encouragement this should be to our prayer lives, that whatever Jesus asks of the Father, he will receive. Friends, by Jesus' death and resurrection, he has opened a a living way for us to boldly approach God's throne of grace in the the confidence that God will hear our prayers and that we will receive mercy in our own time of need. But more than that, we know from Hebrews 7.25 that Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him since, because, he always lives to intercede for them. Friends, Jesus... The one who receives all things that he asks from God is even now alive, pleading on your, half, on your behalf before God. Your salvation is assured. When the great accuser, Satan himself, comes to list all of your sins before the throne of God, well, Jesus is there interceding on your behalf, saying, no, this one has placed his faith or her faith in me. They are forgiven. And Jesus, the alive and risen Savior, is living now and interceding, pleading on your behalf before God. What a Savior. And church, the resurrection of Lazarus really and truly happened. Just as Jesus' own resurrection from the dead really and truly happened. It's in a historical reality. It is not just a fable. It's not a parable. And yet I want you to understand that this real-life event was sovereignly intended by God to be a picture of our own salvation and redemption. It was divinely intended to display the way in which Jesus calls us from death to life by the unmatched power of his life-giving and his life-creating word. The vivid picture of Lazarus rotting away in the tomb is a picture of you in your sins. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Christian, at one time you were stone-cold dead in your sins. There was only one thing, or I should say only one person, that could bring you back to life. It is the one who holds the keys to death and Hades in his hands. It is the one who has life in himself. It is the one who is the resurrection in the life. It is Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in past generations... People who were in debt would sometimes get thrown into debtor's prison until they could repay their debt. Couldn't pay their debt? they get thrown in prison until they could pay their debt. Now, you might rightly ask, how could someone in prison repay debt? Good question. 
But how much more impossible would it be to pay back debt if instead of being in prison, you were killed instead? Friends, apart from Jesus Christ, you are dead in your sins. Unable to pay off your sin debt to God. Incapable of raising your dead spirit and responding to God. You are utterly and completely without hope. Ephesians 2, 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you were saved by grace. Friends, Jesus did not just roll away the stone of the tomb and say, let's wait and see what happens. Let's see if uh, Lazarus is going to get himself up and and come out of the tomb now that I've opened the way. No, Jesus called. He commanded. He summoned Lazarus to come forth out of the grave. Friends, God's word has life-giving power. Just as assuredly as light was brought forth when God said, let there be life, so dead sinners are brought to life when God calls them to come. By a sovereign act of his grace, God gives life to dead sinners through the transforming power of the gospel and the life-giving power of his spirit. As many theologians throughout the age have noted, it is a good thing that Jesus specified that it was Lazarus that should come out. Because if he had not specified, surely all the dead would have come forth when he called. Such is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Such is the the resurrection power of our risen Savior. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and the raising of Lazarus was indisputable verification of that fact. But again, the, the ultimate verification of that truth, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, It was not Jesus' raising of Lazarus, but his own resurrection that was to come. Jesus' own resurrection is the ultimate assurance that all who believe in him will never die. Friends, I I don't know if you noticed, but there's quite a few parallels between Lazarus' resurrection in here, in this text, and Jesus' own resurrection. Both were in the tomb for several days. There was a a stone in front of both tombs. They were both buried in in caves. But when Jesus came to Lazarus' tomb, he had to call for the stone to be removed. He had to summon Lazarus to come forth. On the other hand, it was the angel of the Lord that rolled away the stone from Jesus' grave. And that was not so that Jesus could come out. Jesus was already gone. It was so that the women and the disciples could go in. When the women and the disciples went to the tomb, it was already empty. Jesus was not still wrapped in his burial cloth, but they were neatly folded. He had already risen. And in difference from Lazarus, Jesus would never die again. Lazarus would one day, many years in the future, die another physical death. But Jesus would never die again. But friends, that is the difference between the one who is brought to life and the one who is the resurrection and the life. The difference between the one who is brought to life and the one who is the resurrection and the life. Brothers and sisters, do you believe? That brings us to the fourth and final point of the sermon, the response to Jesus' resurrection message. Look with me at verse 45. Therefore, 
Many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and were saying, What are we going to do since this man is doing many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. One of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You are not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people, rather than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but departed from there to the countryside near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim. And he stayed there with the disciples. So friends, I want to to briefly point out two very different responses to Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus. Look briefly at verses 45 and 46. Some believed. They responded to what they had seen and heard with faith in Jesus. But for others, it simply led to further unbelief. They responded to God's supernatural power in a way very similar to the way that Pharaoh responded to the plagues that God inflicted on the nation of Egypt. They hardened their hearts. They dug in their heels. They resisted. They rejected him. So they went and reported what had, happened to, what had happened to Lazarus to the Pharisees. And notice that when the, the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin, that was something like the supreme religious council of the day, the high re- religious court. So these are the leading Pharisees when they convened the San, Sanhedrin. Well, they did not doubt what Jesus had done. They did not doubt that Jesus had indeed raised Lazarus. That was unmistakable. Uh, it seems like maybe even a few of their own members had been witnesses to that event. Or at least some of those who were Pharisees went to, and told those who were on the Sanhedrin. But they did not give glory to God for what he had done. They wanted to preserve their own glory instead. They wanted to put a stop to Jesus. He was a threat to their position. He was a threat to their power. They were afraid that a popular uprising of people following Jesus and and calling him king and Messiah would bring down the wrath of the Roman Empire and that they would lose the nation and their positions of power within it. And how silly. They're afraid of the, the Roman Empire when you've got a man like raising the dead back to life. Jesus is the author of life. Why are we going to fear the Roman Empire? But they did not want to lose their positions of power. They did not like the fact that many were believing in Jesus and following him instead. In fact, if you read over to John 12, you see that they wanted to put Lazarus back to death again uh, because then they kind of removed the source of the problem. Let's just kill Lazarus again, then people may not really believe Jesus raised him from the dead. We find their solution in verses 49 through 53 of this problem. Caiaphas, the high priest, persuaded the Sanhedrin that they should just put Jesus to death. Look at verse 50. He told the Sanhedrin that it would be better to put Jesus to death so that the Romans would not come and take the nation and and their positions away from them. He advocated that Jesus be the sacrificial lamb to preserve the nation and to preserve the people. As we see in verse 51, 
Caiaphas did not understand what prophetic words he spoke. Though he did not know it, though his heart was hard, just as God spoke to Balaam through the mouth of a donkey, he spoke to us and he spoke through Caiaphas about what Jesus would do. Friends, Jesus would indeed die on behalf of his people. He would die to preserve his people. He willingly suffered and died on a bloody Roman cross, not to preserve your earthly position of power, prestige, influence, not to bring you material riches or promote your earthly success. No, friends, he took your penalty for sin. He paid the penalty that you deserve. He died. He died. He paid the, the wages of sin. The author of life took the wages of sin upon himself so that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. And he did it so all who would believe in him would live again. But praise be to God. But friends, know that to experience Jesus' resurrection power, for all that Jesus has said here to be true for you, for Jesus to be the resurrection, well, he is the resurrection of life, regardless of whether you believe. But if you're going to have eternal life, you must believe. Friends, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? But friends, this promise is for those who believe. This promise is for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. Eternal life, immortality, it's not going to come through scientific discovery. It's not going to come through human achievement. It's not going to come because you've been so good your whole life. No, it only comes through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the living Savior. Friends, the, the correct response to the fact that Jesus has indeed risen from the dead, it's not to seek to hold on to your own pride, to hold on to your reputation. No, the correct response is to give up everything and, and follow Jesus. Luke 9, 24. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Luke 14, 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, Jesus' invitation to believe in him, it is an invitation to come and die. It is an invitation to die to yourself and live to him. It's actually the response that we see Thomas, the disciple, giving way back in verse 16 of our text. So rewind for a minute to verse 16. But Thomas thinks that Jesus, all the disciples think that Jesus is going to his death by going back to Bethany. Uh, Jews had tried to put him to death earlier. Like, Jesus, you're crazy. Why are you going back there? But what did Thomas say to the rest of the disciples? Let's go too, so that we may die with him. Let's listen to these words of the Apostle Paul from Romans chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. Friends, those who unite themselves to Christ in his death by repenting of their sins, by turning from their sins, by putting away their sins, will also be united with him in his resurrection. They will live with him.
As we die with him, we also will live with him. Well, church, that is a promise both for this life and the life to come. Because Jesus has been raised, you can even now walk in newness of life. By his death, you have been freed from your bondage to sin, and by his resurrection, you have been given the power to walk in holiness and obedience. Jesus has defeated sin, and the same power, his spirit, that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you right this very minute if you are a Christian. Jesus has defeated sin, and he is at work in you by his spirit, producing the fruit of obedience. Romans 6.13, as those who are alive from the dead... Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourself to God as weapons for righteousness. And church, even when you sin, Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee and assurance of your forgiveness. It is Jesus' resurrection that is the assurance of your salvation because it shows that the Father accepted his sacrifice for sin. It shows that he is no longer dead, but he is ruling and reigning and interceding for you at God's right hand. Romans 4.25 He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And church, Jesus' resurrection is therefore the hope of your own future glory. It is the guarantee that though we will physically die on earth, we will indeed live again. Death is not the end. When we die, our souls go to be with the Lord. And when Jesus returns in glory and power... Our bodies that lie in the earth will be raised. We will receive resurrected bodies. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Friends, uh, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is not just some interesting or perhaps some strange Christian teaching. It's not something that's on the periphery, the, the, the outskirts of the faith. It is at the center of of our faith. Friends, the Bible says that if Jesus had not been raised, your faith is worthless. So if you are sitting here and you've been coming to church your whole life, you don't believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, what you're doing is worthless. And our faith is worthless if we do not believe that Jesus has been raised. But praise be to God that he is risen. And so church, on this Easter Sunday, This Resurrection Sunday, place your faith and your trust and your assurance and your confidence and your hope in Jesus. Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray.